Thanks for listening to the GCC Sermon Podcast. We'd love to meet you for worship on Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Celebrate Christmas Eve with us at a Christmas Eve candlelight at 4 or 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Visit georgetownchristian.org for more info. Good morning, Georgetown Christian. Hey, uh, if you guys remember the last two weeks, we've read this verse from Matthew together, a prophecy, and I want you to end it by reading the last part with me, God is with us, our series, with, and the prophet said, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so two weeks ago, we saw, I'm sorry, three, yeah, three weeks ago, two, All right, somebody else do the math. But at the beginning of this series, what we discovered was that you can can know God on the mountaintop, but we get to know him intimately in the valley. And then last week, so that was one week ago, I got that math. Last week, we learned that your deepest need can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. And we saw that in the life of a widow and the prophet Elijah. We're still in uh, 1 Kings, and I want to begin today in chapter 18, and I will probably read more verses than you're used to hearing, but uh, if it's anything like first service, it will be shorter than last week, in spite of the fact that I'm reading a whole chapter of the Bible. (laughs) But this is like must-see TV. You don't want to miss what's happening here, where we're going to discover that peace comes from the presence of God. Would you guys say that with me? Peace comes from the presence of God. And I believe that we'll see that here in Elijah's life in chapters 18 and 19, and that's in 1 Kings. So uh, the great majority of the, what I'm reading will be on the screen. And then after we get through the whole segment of Elijah on Mount Carmel, we won't have as much up there. We'll have some pictures. So don't freak out like you're missing something. But if you want to follow along, we're starting in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, by way of quick review. King Ahab is the evil king of Israel. So evil that if you read a summary of the book of 1 Kings, they'll just say there were lots of kings. And this one king who was super wicked, his name was Ahab. That's this guy. So Ahab is the king. And he, I'm just picking up here in verse 17, Ahab went out to meet Elijah. Remember, Elijah was in hiding. Elijah is the prophet of God sent to Israel to try to bring them back on course. And when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers because you refuse to obey the commands of the Lord. And you've worshipped the images of Baal instead. And I'm going to keep saying Baal because there should be a little apostrophe in those two A's because that's what it sounds like when you read his name in Hebrew. So Baal, there you go. You guys say it with me. Three, two, one. Baal. All right. It's just how it's said. So now summon all Israel, all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. Jezebel is not just a random lady. That is Ahab's wife. She cray-cray. She super hates God. She does not want anything to do with the Lord God. She likes uh, Baal and Asherah. She's very into that. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel 
and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them all and he said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to him, I am the only prophet of the Lord who has left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar, but I will not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you, you go first. I'm thinking he knows how this is going to go down, but you go ahead and uh, you go first, for there's lots of you. You choose one of the bulls, and you prepare it, and you call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, they placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from, from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Really like this guy. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or maybe relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or asleep and he needs you to wake him up. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. And then they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was still no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he prepared, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down as King Ahab and Jezebel had instructed. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons he piled wood on the altar. He cut the pole into pieces and he laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Have you ever tried to light wet wood? It is not going to go in your favor. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. 
immediately. The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. It burned up the young bull. It burned up the wood. It burned up the stones. It burned up the dust. It even licked the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out. Read this with me, Georgetown. The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let anybody escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and he killed them there. Now, you would agree with me that Elijah is unmistakably doing the work of God. He is completing God's mission. He is fulfilling God's call on his life in this moment. He is pointing Israel back to God. He is showing all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He has shown King Ahab. He has shown all of Israel that the Lord is God Almighty. Israel has collectively and publicly proclaimed, as did we, that the Lord is God. Now imagine what happens next. And if you've read it, maybe you can imagine it. If you have a good memory, I don't. Uh, you may already know what happens next. But you would guess after t Elijah's time in these trenches that he would be on the top of the world. Because on Mount Carmel, Elijah is accomplishing God's mission for him. Elijah honors God. He serves the people. He's showing the truth. Now, Elijah is immediately about the rest of this mission. Uh, you'll remember that Elijah had told King Ahab, it's not going to rain unless it's by my command. He specifically says there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, Elijah tells the king, Ahab, he says, you better go grab a snack because it's fixing to rain. And it's not just fixing the rain, creek's getting out. Like y'all are going to have to go a different way to church this morning because it's going to rain a lot. It's going to storm. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, go and look out to the sea. And the servant didn't see anything yet, but Elijah doesn't give up. He keeps on praying. He tells his servant, keep on looking. He sends him seven times to look as Elijah continues to pray. And finally, the servant sees a little cloud drifting up from the horizon. And then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot, go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Soon the sky is black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. This is like every cross-country runner's favorite verse. He tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, Elijah runs uh, evidently faster than like a five-year-old tearing through Christmas morning to Jezreel, beats Ahab there, and you would think that Elijah is now at the peak, that he would have done everything he could possibly do to produce the results that the Lord wants 
in Israel. He proved before Baal and Asherah and the prophets, and he proved before all of Israel, and he proved to Ahab that the Lord Almighty is God alone. Now surely Ahab and Jezebel will see that the Lord is God, but you won't believe what happens next. Chapter 19, verse 1 of 1 Kings. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done. And remember, Jezebel just loves Baal and Asherah. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you as you killed them. This had to be a gut check. Maybe you've had a gut check that was something like this where you've been on the mountaintop. You have been doing exactly what you needed to do at work in your family, even in the life of your church. You have just been carrying the ball down the field, your first down, every third down. You are doing your job, and then you get a gut check. Maybe your friends convinced you that this girl really likes you, and you go to ask her out, and you find out your friends don't really know who this girl likes. It's just a tough gut check. Maybe you ran the race as hard as you could run, a literal foot race in track or cross country, but you find out at the end that you're disqualified because you wore a necklace or an earring or a bracelet, and they don't allow those. Or maybe you're on the championship team, and you played for the championship, but you were beat by this team that you just couldn't handle. And it turns out later that year that they are a bunch of cheaters, and that's why you couldn't beat them. Maybe you're the one at work who has put in the extra hours. You show up early, and you leave late, and meanwhile, old Bill here, he's showing up late, and he's leaving early and doing almost nothing, and guess who gets the promotion? Ugh, gut check. Elijah is not only tired, now he's being hunted. He's marked for death. So you're going to see some pictures as I continue reading. Uh, and I need you to understand that in this picture that it's a little bit cut off. So imagine this uh, dusty stuff. Imagine it like right here. This is just very short to the ground. So <clears throat> Elijah was afraid because who wanted to kill him? Jezebel. She was going to kill him. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba. Don't miss this here, Georgetown. In a town in Judah. So he leaves the country entirely. This is about 110 miles. If you were to drive it today, uh, Google Maps says it would take two and a half hours. Elijah goes to Beersheba. He leaves his servant there. Then he keeps going. Then he went on alone out into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down. Maybe he thought God was going to answer his prayer. And he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water, DoorDash and Beersheba. So he ate and, and drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Tipped him really well, DoorDash again. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It should be familiar 
because that's where the ten words were given to Moses. We call them the Ten Commandments. And he finds a cave and he spends the night there. Now, Georgetown, I would love so much to tell you, I would love to say this, I would love to say, Georgetown, what you might need this holiday season of hustle and hurry and bustle and just holy smokes, we spent a lot of money. What you need is a snack and a nap. And I would love to tell you that. Doesn't it just sound great? It just sounds so good to think that, you know, what I'm going to go home to do today is take a nap and eat a snack in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I shall be blessed. And indeed, it is, it is holy to rest. It, it can be holy to eat. But friends, Christians have such a higher hope than snacks and naps, and that is the hope of eternal peace from the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace proceeds from the presence of God. So let's see how that works out in the life of Elijah uh, after a quick story. And I think you've probably lived the truth and the reality that I have lived, and that is that hurry and hustle is kind of crushing our hope this time of year. This lady experiences that very thing. She's finishing her shopping. She loads her bags into her cart. She gets it out to her car. And as she's approaching the car, she's rifling through the list. You all have these lists. I still have to go to this store, and I've got to find the cream cheese. They didn't have it in there. And I've got to get home in time to make dinner for 6. That means I've got to turn the oven on at 4.30. And she's got the whole list going. But as she gets up to her car, she comes back to reality, and she realizes there are four men sitting in her car. And she's thinking, holy cow, this is going to mess up my schedule. So like any responsible Kroger shopper should do, she pulls out her pistol and says, get out of my car right now. And you can imagine the scene as these four men are falling all over themselves, being evicted at gunpoint from a car. And they leave the doors open and they take off for the hills. The woman loads her groceries as quickly as she can. She jumps in the front seat and she's fiddling with that key and just can't get it to start. It's because it's not her car. It won't start because her car is four spaces over. She's in the wrong car. So she moves her groceries over. She gets in that car, takes her gun and puts it in her purse, goes to the police station and says, I have definitely committed a crime. And as the sergeant at the desk is falling out of his chair, he says, do these guys look familiar? And she says, have them turn around so I can see the backs of their heads because all I saw was them running. No charges were filed that day. But we have all experienced what that woman has experienced. You're living it, and I'm living it, and it's miserable. And I would even say it is just not in line with the will of God for us to be hurrying and hustling so hard that we've crowded out hope, that, that we've decided that, that somehow productivity is going to bring us peace. Jesus never lived a life that says that. Maybe you're in the trenches yourself like Elijah was. Maybe your head is down and you are doing the work that your family needs done, that your job needs done. You're doing the service that God needs done in his church. Maybe your head is down and you have just begun to notice that all of the hustle has crowded out all of the hope, and that you have begun to believe 
that productivity is going to somehow bring you peace. And it's never something you set out to say, I believe the more productive I am, the more peace I will feel. It will honor God. But man, this Protestant work ethic comes from somewhere. And it's that little lie that creeps in that the more productive that you are and that I am, the more pleased God is going to be. Christians, in Christ, we have peace that passes understanding. But if we're not living lives that look like we have peace that indeed is beyond understanding, then the world, when they see us, will think, just like the marketers, you know, you need to go get this gift card from Outback. It's like you buy 25 and you get five for free because you need a nap and a snack. Am I right? The marketers know it. Our friends and neighbors know it. And if we start to believe it, we're going to buy into something as simple as a nap and a snack, and we're going to trade a nap and a snack for peace that passes understanding. But friends, our hope is not in a nap. It is not in a snack. It is in a prince of peace who has given his life that we might experience peace that passes understanding, that you and I might have hope that is eternal, that this community would see that there's a peace that is so beyond anything they understand that they need to know what's different about you. They need to know where is your peace coming from? Back to the text, Elijah's on Mount Sinai, the same mountain where Moses was given the ten. Again, we'll just have a photo. I'm not going to put the words up there. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, they have broken their covenant with you. They have torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was a mighty earthquake, but the Lord, he was not in the earthquake. And after the wind, and after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And it's at this moment that I think Elijah begins to see. I invite you to read your scriptures, go all the way through 2 Kings, probably chapter 5 or 6, and I want you to reflect to see if you see the same truth there I do, because it will not say the word peace, but I believe that Elijah begins to see that peace does not come from performance. If you remember all that Elijah has just done, he's been on the run from a king and his wife want him dead. He's been eating from a raven fed by a raven, drinking from a brook. He's been living with the widow whose son also died while he was there, raised the son from dead and saw the flour and the oil never run out. And then he was on Mount Carmel. And then there was fire from heaven. And then there was not rain, but then there was because the Lord is, he's the God of fire and rain and sky and drought. And Elijah has shown all of this to King Ahab and to to his wife Jezebel, and to the people of Israel, and to the false prophets. 
And he's finally come to a place where he is saying, man, there is just no way that peace is going to come from my performance. And he's done the will of God the whole time. And there's not a single place you're going to find where it says that God saw that Elijah was too busy and it was a sin. But it is true that here in the presence of God, it is where Elijah begins to experience peace. Peace that I believe comes from the presence of God. And you see that as Elijah begins to listen to the Lord, and the Lord reveals to him his specific plans that still involve Elijah, and Elijah can see how God has absolutely got everything laid out for the rest of Elijah's ministry. And Elijah then lives in peace as he carries out the rest. He never feels this I'm all alone, all the prophets are dead, and the king wants me dead, and I'm the only one. He never says this kind of thing again. Elijah lives out his his life with a sense of peace that only comes from the presence of God. And I wonder how many of you are hustling and you're hurrying so much that you have crowded out any hope that was in your life this season? How many of us are pushing and pressing and hoping that by somehow our productivity, we're going to discover peace when peace comes from the presence of God? As Christians, we have more than a snack. We have more than just rest. We have peace that is past understanding that comes from the Prince of Peace whose birth we celebrate this season at the arrival of a baby. If you would bow your heads, I want you to imagine this scene recorded by Luke in his gospel. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace comes from the presence of God. Elijah experienced peace in the presence of God. These shepherds experienced peace when they came into the presence of a child, a baby. Will we pause our productivity, our performance, our press to make the best whatever it is we're working towards? And will we pursue the peace that comes from the presence of God? If you are not living with Jesus Christ as your Lord. I invite you today to take the step of faith to proclaim that Christ is the Lord of your life and to accept him as your Savior. 
As we sing, if you have a decision like that or that decision to make, I'd invite you to join me in the front. Father God, we're so grateful for the gift of your word. We're so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the peace that issues forth from your presence. And it's our prayer that you would help us to find that peace that passes understanding in a season full of hurry, in a life centered around hustle sometimes, that you would help us to live in the peace that begs an explanation. That by the peace that you give us, our community, our neighbor would know that something is different. That, Father, that you would receive glory by the life that has lived in the power that we have in you. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.